Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays, Aspire listeners. This is an exciting episode as I have an opportunity to collaborate with the Punk Rock Classroom podcast. And Michael Earnshaw and Joshua Buckley are going to be joining me today as we talk about aspiring leadership and building culture um, as a principal and as a leader on a campus. I just enjoy these guys so much, and it's been a lot of fun to not only be on the Teach Better Podcast Network with them, but also to collaborate in other facets. Join us as we are talking all things leadership, and Joshua Buckley is going to facilitate the conversation for myself and Earnshaw, and I hope you enjoy the conversation. Welcome back, everyone, to Aspire, the Leadership Development Podcast, where we will be discussing the visions, inspirations, and experiences from top educational leaders. My name is Joshua Stamper, and you can connect with me on Twitter or on Instagram at Joshua double underscore Stamper. All right, so I feel extra special today because I get to play a kind of host interviewer, use my skills on two podcasts at once today. And I am joined as I moderated a little conversation by two people I think are fantastic leaders. And I've got Josh Stamper and Mike Earnshaw with me. And we're gonna talk about leadership. We're gonna talk about the two books that they have out right now that you should definitely go pick up. These two EduMatch authors are here to kind of talk about the books that they've got out in the world. If you're an aspiring leader or you are a leader, you definitely should check both of these books out. So gentlemen, let's get into it a little bit. Both of you have written a book, you got it out right now. I want to talk first, give us what the book is basically about. Give us the the short and sweet. Actually, you can go long if you want. It's not, you know, whatever. Uh, Josh Damper, let's start with you. What's the book? What's it about? Tell us a little bit about it. Yeah. So first off, Buckley, thank you so much for moderating this conversation (laughs) because I don't know, we're flipping the script on you. So I appreciate you doing this. Oh, I'm good. <laughs> thank you for thank you for letting me. So Aspire to Lead. So the book actually is from the podcast. Honestly, the podcast was my avenue to help aspiring leaders um, with their leadership journey. And, you know, through my background in my own leadership journey, I just was able to reflect on a lot of my missteps and failures, really going from an art teacher to an administrator. And so just talking with a bunch of different educational leaders and kind of reflecting on their conversations and their journey, I felt like I had a story to tell and I wanted to be able to put that on pages and hopefully help some folks through some trials that they may be seeing also. So that's where it really started from was was from my story. And so with that, I created a, an Aspire model. And so Aspire is an acronym within the book and it's activate, support, persevere, identify, reflect and execute and just kind of working through each word to help kind of through a a timeline, if you will, of of going from a teacher to an administrator. By no means is the book only for those who are looking to get into administration. It's really for all educators because I truly believe every educator is a leader. But no matter what your goal is, I'm hoping that this book will get you to that next level, whatever that goal may be. Beyond that, I, I use three additional words, characteristics that I felt were extremely important to any leader, which is passion, creativity, and empathy. And so I specifically used the last three chapters to hone in on that because I think those three qualities need to be fine-tuned and executed every single day. I love the acronym, right? I love this idea as a history teacher who would always grab like, and this is how we remember World War One, and we do like, I do like, I, I do like this idea of of having these words and aspire push that. And I also appreciate that the the idea that this isn't just for 
just for someone aspiring to be a school administrator, right? Because uh, I think you're right. Everybody in a classroom, you're leading students, you're leading your colleagues, you're leading you know, people in your building all the time. Whether you consider yourself a leader in your building, you have the opportunity to do that as an educator. With me also, Mike Earnshaw, my punk rock brother in crime. Mike, tell us about your, your cookbook, man. What's, what's the basis of the book? What it's all about? Let us know. Yeah. Before I get there, first, yeah. I need to I need to say I feel like I'm not even talking to the Josh Buckley I talk to <laughs> on a daily basis. You, you, your intro is very like formal. I feel like I'm on like a talk show, so it's pretty cool. So thanks, thanks for having me. And then uh, <laughs> I do got to say about Stamper's book because I was able, I got to read it early on. It's a phenomenal book. The things he discusses, his honesty. A lot of vulnerability thrown in there of like what he did as he was transitioning or you know, on his journey to become an ed leader. And it's things that I'm like, man, I wish I would have done that to feel more prepared. I and, and like you said, Buckley, I think it's something great for anybody because we've said on our podcast and Josh said on his, I mean, there, there's leaders all around, regardless if that's part of your title. All right. So my book, yeah, it's the Educulture Cookbook. How it came about, like I was kind of blogging and I noticed the blogs where I actually would talk about activities I've done with our staff seem to get the most kind of interactions. Like people would like, retweet and send me messages like, you know, wanted to, to learn more. How can they do it with their staff or do it with their students? And so I kind of was like, well, all right, maybe, you know, what I've helped to do on our campus, we've had this huge positive culture shift over the past few years with folks on like building relationships and collaboration and doing all of these like hands-on activities with each other, kind of your out-of-the-box stuff that a ed leader or building leader would do. And so I, I just kind of started writing. The cookbook idea came about because, you know, my wife and my daughter asked me about it and they're like, you know, my wife's like, well, you need something that's going to stick out. You know, you can't just write a book about the stuff you do, I mean, like, that's what everyone does, right? And then it's just going to get kind of pushed to the wayside. So she's like, what if you made it like a cookbook? Now, the whole background behind that, I'm not going to go into all, like, if I didn't go into education, I would have went to culinary school. I cooked all through high school. I worked in restaurants, loved it. And so I was also at the time, like, teaching my daughter, because she was getting a little bit older, how to, like, make basic things in the kitchen. And so I started thinking about it. I'm like, you know, there's times where I've read education books and I can never go back and find my highlights, my post-its, whatever I wanted, you know, because it's never when you read it, when you need the stuff you, you've taken in. It's six months down the road. So I was like, well, at the end of each chapter, I'm going to put a recipe card that easily breaks down that activity. And you don't have to reread the whole chapter. It's boom, right there. Here's what you need to do. Here's how you do it. Simple, simple as that. So that's kind of how it all came about. But yeah, the whole the the whole book, it's not for building leaders because what I everything I do, I'm I'm looking at our staff to bring back to their students uh, to make these basically these experiences and these connections and relationships. And what we've seen, it's it's helped to raise, you know, morale, positive climate, and student student scores and success and growth. I mean, and that's that's what we want. So that's kind of mine in a nutshell. Yeah, I, Mike, I really appreciate the, the idea of like, because I think of professional development, some of that best professional development is when you have something that you can take away with you that you can go and implement right away or that you can go back to and go like, oh, I need this one thing and you can take that thing. So having those recipes in the book where you're able to go, oh, 
I remember reading about this. I wanted, I want to find something to do with my staff or with the kids in my classroom to build a relationship. You have it, you know, you have a little glossary and all your recipes you can go back to and you can go like, ah, this is the thing I want to do. Right. I think that that's really helpful. I think one of the things that I appreciate about, about both of you is your ability to be reflective about how you got where you're, where you're at. Right. Cause I, I think one of the key parts of being an educator, if we want to grow, if we want to get better, whether that's as a, as a school leader or as a classroom teacher or whatever your role is in education, if you want to be a better bus driver, if you want to be a better recess aide or whatever your role is in, in education, reflection is a key part of that. So Josh, one of the one of your acronyms in there is reflection, right? And aspire that R part. Why do you think that's an important part of being a school leader? And for you, what's the thing that you found for yourself that looking back on, you know, you you learned a lot from that experience? Why is reflection important? And then what's one thing that you learned a lot from in your growth as a school leader? Sure. So the idea of reflection came, and forgive me, it's been a while, but I, I don't remember the speaker. But I was at a conference, the speaker asked everybody, how much time have you used every single day to reflect on your instructional practices or your practices as, as a leader? And I remember sitting there and, and sweating because when I was thinking about it, it was really like maybe during my drive to work or driving home, it wasn't very much time. And while we all know we make thousands of decisions as an educator, it doesn't even mean if you're a leader. I couldn't really say that I spent a lot of time in reflection. And so I was kind of kicking myself. And, and since then, I've been more intentional about that because I think it's really easy to be pushed down just with the monotony of, of the job. And, you know, as an administrator, especially like we get pulled in so many different directions that we don't really have time to, to spend on things that we want to do all the time, right? So it was one of those things where, you know, when I was writing the book, um, before that, with podcasting too, I felt like I was really diving into some reflective practices that were making me better as a leader. It wasn't just about getting more information, but it was also about looking back at my own choices, my decisions, things that I was implementing on the campus, and are those the right things moving forward? So that that's why I felt it was really, really important for the reflection process and, and something I wanted to put in my acronym, because I think every educator, every leader needs to make sure that they're at least spending some time to reflect on on things that have gone. And Earnshaw was talking about this earlier too, right? Like we do all things all the time and if we don't write it down, we forget about it, right? right. I mean, so yeah, right. We, we talk about what things have we done great on our campus this school year. So like myself and my principal, we'd be kicking ourselves at the end of the year because we'd be racking our brains trying to remember all the different initiatives and all the projects that we did that were successful and, and trying to put it on our campus improvement plan and and you know, present it to the staff at the end of the year staff meeting, and we can never remember all the many things that we did that were that were great. And so we started actually like we had a board that we put up in the principal's office, and we literally, as the year went on, just started writing down all of the different things that we did that was that were highlights, right? But we mm -hmm. we should be doing that with our reflection process too. And so the chapter really is just trying to hone in on how we might be able to have this process that's in our daily routines that's going to make us better. As far as me and my reflection process, you're right. I, I did want to be vulnerable in all of my stories. That was important to me because I think a lot of folks just assume that, you know, oh, you're an administrator. Everything <laughs> came easy. It was just easy for you, right? Yeah, like, <laughs> you, you made all the right decisions and, you know, you, you were provided this opportunity. And, and for me, like, I wanted to show that there were struggles. I made a lot of mistakes on my way. I ascended 
pretty quickly as far as my role on a campus and I wanted to show that it wasn't rainbows and unicorns every single day and that the relationships with my peers changed drastically and I had to kind of maneuver through what that looked like and also being an elective teacher what what is the stigma yeah um with that too right and how did I have to break those barriers to let everyone know that I I had the skills to be a, a building leader I think just that process going through those struggles were something that I, I didn't want everyone just to think that, you know, it was just this perfect little journey and yeah, made it without much work. And so that, that was really what I wanted to convey in the book. Yeah, I, I think when we think about anybody's leadership journey, there are always those, there's always bumps in the road, right? Even if it, even if you're from afar and you look at it and you're like, oh, that must, that looks like it wasn't anything big at all, right? There are always, even if there's not external struggles, there's internal struggles with all of that, mm. that reflecting on that can, can be an important piece of it. Mike, as this sort of like culture guru, right? As this sort of like, <laughs> that's, that's, I mean, that's what your book is about is building culture, culture with your community, with the folks on your campus with the kids in your in your hallways and in your buildings how does i mean just to keep this idea of reflection how does reflection play into what you do as a leader with these sort of you know experiences that you're creating for for your staff and the way that you're trying to get them to look at their classrooms differently how does reflection a piece of that for you and the educators you lead in your building it's a deep question josh thanks a lot you know um <laughs> yeah so i mean it's it's kind of like what Stamper was saying before, like, I remember I never really reflected on my practice. You know, it, it would be my ride home, which when I was a teacher, the district I worked in was maybe 25 minutes from, from my house. If that, you know, now I work, I'm a seven minute commute. So I've had to find my own time to reflect. And by doing that, like, I always knew I wasn't perfect. Right. But it's like when, when I didn't spend time in reflection, whether I was a teacher whether, you know, I'm, I was an assistant principal, the role I'm in now, I mean, heck, even when I was, you know, the, the headline cook at the restaurant, I worked at all through high school and college. Like if I didn't reflect on how the day went mistakes, I made the successes and wins I had, it didn't help me to grow to the next spot. So when, when I found myself and I'm not going to lie, I still go through periods of time, especially right now, this year where I don't, find the time to reflect. And then I just kind of say stagnant, you know, like there's no growth. There may be a little bit of, of moving backwards at times. Cause there's times where I've felt right now this year, you could feel the culture and the positivity in our building start to, to decline a little bit. You know, there might not be as many smiles in the hallway from staff members or the main thing is that's going to kind of go into the kids. Now, luckily, I mean, we have not seen the, our staff are rock stars and it hasn't seeped into that portion yet where the, it's affecting the kids. So just like recently, the past few months, I've started doing a lot more reflecting of, well, how am I leading? And it always comes back to, am I being true to myself? Right. And every time I find myself in a dark spot or unhappy, or I feel our culture starting to go on uh, the downslide, it's when I'm not being true to like who I am. Um, I'm letting these outside factors of all of these new things that we have to deal with in education, you know, contact tracing and, you know, these threats on TikTok and everything going on, like all this stuff that we didn't sign up for, letting that affect how I lead. And I've done re a lot of reflection where I now have been able to like kind of map out where we're going to go. And for our staff, 
because I know for me, like I have to make that time. Like my superintendent's not going to make the time for me and say, Hey, Mike, take a, take an hour each day where you can just <laughs> no, shut yourself. Not. You, you can't can just shut yourself in your office and just reflect on put yourself. It, just your, put it on your right. Google calendar so, and everybody will know. Right. No, one will come so, to your door. Just put it on so, the calendar. <laughs> I know I got to make my own time, but I try to find times for our staff to do that. Now I can't offer that to them every day, you know, but I keep trying to, I found every time I've been honest and vulnerable and shared what's going on with me personally, professionally, emotionally, everything with staff to let them know, like, look, we're all human and it's okay to admit failures, successes, struggles, to let them reflect and know what do you want to change and how can I help you? I mean, they, that's the main thing. How can I, as, as a le- building leader, not even that, how can I, as a, just a comrade, you know, and co- a colleague, whatever, help you with whatever you're going with? I mean, reflection is powerful. You know, it, it really is. You have to know. We kind of talked about this on our podcast when we did the going emo episode, like with emotional intelligence kind of ties in. Like you have to know yourself mm-hmm. and like those triggers in order to get past things and to continue to grow and just become better for others. Yeah. Mike, I want to thank you for teeing me up for my next question. I appreciate that. I wanted to talk about, and I did not know this. No, no, but I want to talk about, I mean, you mentioned this idea of knowing who you are, that sometimes you forget who you are as a leader. And I know that on our podcast, Punk Rock Classrooms, you have talked about this idea of when you were first a leader, you were kind of following what you thought a principle should be like, right? right? So I want to ask, I want to ask both of you this idea is like, how have you discovered yourself as a leader, as a school leader? What did it take for you to go like, no, this is who I am. This is what I believe. This is what I want to do. Because I think, I know for me, I've had some, a weird leadership journey myself, having been a union president and in that role for six years, and now finding myself at an elementary campus in a leader, in a quasi leadership role right now, you have to really look at who you are as a person. So Mike, talk a little bit about, about that, about how you discovered who you are as a leader. And then Josh, I want to ask you the same thing. Like, how did you discover yourself as a leader? What did it take for you to do that? I always beat to my own drum, you know, like as far as I can remember, five years old, I always did me. I didn't care what others thought. The same thing when I taught, you know, my colleagues always kind of just wrote me off as like, he's just in there having fun. And, you know, cause I like to say like, you know, I was doing teach like a pirate when, when Dave was probably writing that book, which is a great book. I'm not knocking his book by any means, you know, but like just doing those kind of like, you know, out of the box things to connect with my kids. And when I became an assistant principal, it was the same thing. But then when I became a building leader, you know, the principal of a 525 student school, you know, K through five, the first year and a half was easy because you're just, I'm just taking it all in. I'm learning the culture here. I'm learning everybody. I'm learning, I'm learning elementary, you know, my whole career was middle school, but then after the year and a half, when it was kind of like, you know, I I don't want to say my superintendent told me like, all right, now's the time. Like, what are you going to start to make some changes in? You know, because we all know, like, no leader comes in and just starts making changes or off the bat. I mean, yeah, there's some little things here and there. But so then I kind of was like, well, I, I don't think I'm really prepared to be a principal, to be honest. You know, your your college courses don't prepare you. I was an AP for two years. I don't think that was by far long enough to prepare me. You're but never ready. It, like, you're never no, ready. No, like, we're never for ready. Any, you're never ready. But then I think what what it was is I spent about two years just 
unhappy because I looked at the other principals in our district and I'm like, okay, well, this is what I need to do. And I, I'm, I became unhappy. And what really helped me to find myself is I found other educators. I found other building leaders who were being themselves. You know, I, I've talked about this numerous times. NASSP was in Chicago. It was the summer of 18, 2018. And I remember like I discovered who Adam Welcome was and like Andy Jacks and Eric Ewald, like all of these principals, Jay Posick, and looking at them going, why, why can't I do that too? Like I can go slide down the slide with some first graders at recess. I can ride around the school on a, you know, scooter. And then I find this guy doing a session that people like, you need to get to the session early because it's going to be packed house. I'm like, what, what are you talking about? There's this guy named Hamish Brewer, you know, before he's keynote and everything. And I go and see him and I'm like, I've skateboarded my whole life. Why am I like not being who I am? So I'm like, screw it. You know, like I'm going to let the staff know I like punk rock and, and metal and hardcore. And yeah, I still skateboard, you know, nowhere near as good as I used to be, but I still skateboard. <laughs> and, you know, just like being who I was, yeah. I went back to just really building those relationships and being honest with people. And like, I've always been the type of person who likes to bring other voices into decision-making because I'm by no means ever the smartest person in any room, you know? Oh, I know that. Um, no, yeah. <laughs> yeah <laughs> after, after three years, you know that. So I always, you know, I got back to like being honest or relying on others and sharing who I was and just having fun. Like education needs to be fun. And I'm not saying like, I'm, I'm just here to party all day and you know, who cares about test scores and all that? No, but I've, when, when you're put in an environment that people want to be in and they feel accepted for who they are, you know, I, I, we, we got pictures all over our building of me from high school with a Mohawk. Like it's in every staff bathroom. <laughs> like it's like fun, but it's letting people know, like, look, be who you want to be like, yeah, yeah. it's okay. Like I, I got your back and, and it, it, it's rubbed off on the kids. Like we've got kids who are not afraid you know, they're not trying to fit the mold of what everyone else in their class, their grade level is doing. Cause they're like, Oh, that's cool. You're into that. Well, this is me. And we could still go play kickball together on the playground. Yeah. Yeah. Um, All right. Stamper let's, let's hear it, man. So you, what was your, I mean, you became, you had mentioned earlier, you know, you, you hit leadership maybe a little quicker, you know, it, it happened. Your ascension, I think is used ascending. What was it like for you? How did you discover yourself as a leader? Because I think whenever we're, whenever we're thrown in that role as a leader, we automatically, I think just by nature, we go, okay, this is what I'm supposed to do, right? This is the tie I'm supposed to wear. This is how I'm supposed to walk through the hallways and I'm supposed to be in my office at this time. How did you discover what it meant for Josh Stamper to be a leader in your building? It actually took me going from an art teacher to a dean of students and that role you know that is all about student discipline so i had 1200 yeah. students and and that role was you know more of the disciplinary piece i'll be honest i was extremely cocky <laughs> when i <laughs> got into that role because i felt like i was the best candidate at the time i felt like i had a vast amount of experience because of who was my mentor she she gave me every opportunity to learn the position the difference was is i went to a new campus new administration, new community, and a campus that had a whole different set of, of issues that they were working through. And so yeah. it was my cockiness versus the real 
life work and the staff really was searching for someone to fix a lot of things that were going wrong on the campus and i felt like i was ready to put the cape on and be superman and and solve all of these issues and quickly i found out that i started to adopt what they assumed or thought was going to be that leader and so i i wasn't being myself and i was sending kids home i was being extremely uh, punitive in my discipline trying to fix the issues and really what it was was i felt like you know the cartoon where there's a dam and there's like these little holes that are spilling small amount of water right yeah i was trying to put yeah. my finger and my toes and all of these different holes to kind of like make sure that the dam wasn't going to break and really the the dam broke i mean it was the, the student discipline wasn't getting any better and everybody was unhappy and so it was one of those times where I was at my breaking point, and and I did write about this in the book in, in the chapter of, of empathy because it took me really looking to see if I wanted to walk away from education altogether. My wife and I went to a training for um, our foster care, and and my listeners probably have heard this before, but it was really that that training through Professor Purvis um, that changed everything for me and gave me life and gave me the ability to say, okay, it's okay to be empathetic as a leader. It's okay to like have these values that maybe don't reflect the general population in education. And if it's something that you feel important and is going to work, then even if you're on that island at first by yourself, it's okay to to push forward. And so that's when I shift everything. And I talk about this a lot about trauma-informed, restorative practices, those types of things. But I, I really feel like that year, although it was most difficult, and brought the most pain was the the part where one I identified myself of who I was as a leader, what I valued, and then also you know gave me the skills to, to ascend to the next level, which was being an assistant principal, which which I got a promotion the, the following year. So I I want to I want to ask this question: If you guys are have both been campus leaders, you both have written about sort of different things for education and the education leadership realm. You both host podcasts, you both blog about stuff. So my question for you both is if you could give a piece of advice to earlier you. So, so Josh, if you could give a piece of advice to young Josh Stamper as he's, as he's starting this journey as a leader. And Mike, if you could give one piece of advice to young Mikey Earnshaw as he's figuring out, you know, I'm going to leave the classroom. I'm going to go be an assistant principal. What would, after what you've learned and, and the people you've talked to and the experiences you've had, what's a piece of advice you would give to younger you? Josh, let's start with you. I mean, I have a couple of things that are just like shot on my head. Yeah. So if I, if I land on more than one, forgive me. No, that's uh, good. No, that's fine. The more the merrier, I said. I know you guys are punk rockers, so I'm going to break the rules. Exactly. So the first thing was, <laughs> I was thinking balance because, you know, as a, as a leader, I think you could get pretty involved with what needs to be done on campus so much so that, that you push other things, including your family aside. And I definitely fell, I have fallen in that trap several times of, of just killing myself to to get everything done and and as yeah. a leader in, in a building you, you just can't you know and you have to accept that to to a certain degree um my old superintendent used to say you got to shoot the alligator close to the boat and i really believe that you know some days you just need to put things <laughs> i like that i like yeah. that i like that too <laughs> that's that good on the desk sometimes and understand yeah. that you're going to get to it the next day and and go you know see your boy uh play basketball or go to your yeah. daughter's uh, recital or whatever. You know, there's certain things that are more important than the job. Not to say that the job isn't important, but 
you need to make sure that you're balanced as a, as a leader. And the other piece was just connections in general. And I think Earnshaw talked about it. You know, he went to that conference and not only did he learn from some great leaders, but he also connected in, in that. And, you know, I, I got to listen to George Kuros kind of early in my leadership journey. And, and that's when I started to get connected with other educators. And, you know, I got to meet, you know, fine gentlemen like yourself and some other fantastic leaders, which has led to a whole host of things. Those connections definitely enhanced myself, my skills, um, literature, like things that I never knew existed out there um, and would never have, have found without, you know, making all these wonderful connections. So those are two things I can think of off the bat. I know a lot of people hear, oh, you need to get a Twitter account or some social media and they kind of scoff at that. But I can assure you that if you're not connected, you need to make sure you're doing that immediately because leadership is a lonely, lonely job, right. um, especially the higher you get. There's only so many people in your building, right? Yeah. There's only so many people in your building that you can connect with. You need someone who does what you do sometimes. Right. You know? Yeah, and yeah. Then, then you need to understand the, the pressures that you're under and not everyone yeah. in the building can get to know that and help you in those situations. All right. What would you tell young Mikey Earnshaw, Mike? Can yeah. I, can, did you call, did you ever go by Mikey? That's what I need to know. Did anybody ever um, call you Mikey? Yeah, my, my grandma, my dad's side, my grandma, <laughs> my dad's side, and like my aunts on that side still, still will refer still to Mikey. me as Mikey. Well, which, Mikey. Right. Yeah, it's like I'm 41 years old now. Come on. Well, right. What do you, what do you tell young Mikey <laughs> as he's starting his journey you know, as an ed leader? I, I would say one hands down, like, Always stay true to who you are, yourself, and what you know needs to be done, whether whatever that may be with initiatives, how you want to lead, how you want to do this. I mean, if, you know, I feel if I know, decide on something, it's always in the best interest of the kids, even if it's directly related to the staff, because I know it's going to trickle down to the kids. So always just stay true to that. Um, and then I, I got to echo what Stamper said, like, I tell my staff all the time, like you need to be connected because I've learned and grown still to this day from all of these amazing you know, educators outside of, of my, you know, four wall campus here. Um, you know, just, it's nice to be able to, to bounce ideas and hear the same struggles or successes that others are going through that might have a little different perspective on the situation you're in. Um, and that's where those connections come in handy. And then like the whole balance. And I, I know, I know you see all the memes on, on Instagram about, you know, educators scoffing at well-being and self-care like, Oh, it's just hokey. You tell us to do self-care, but then you give us no real time to do self-care. But it's so true that if we're not taking care of ourselves, and making time for ourselves, whether you've got a family of you and a cat, or you've got a family of you and 10 other kids, like 10 kids, you need to find at least 20 minutes for yourself each day. Because I've found when I don't do that, I'm no, not that good for our staff, for our students, and I'm no good for the family at home then either. Like it's all of these other parties are affected. So, you know, it's selfish if you're finding those 20 minutes at the expense of others. Like, oh yeah, hey guys, I just got home from work. Oh, you want to eat? You got homework and you've been with the kids all day, but oh, I'm going to go work out. No, no, like then, yeah, that's a problem. So you're going to have to make some sacrifices. Like maybe you get up at 5.30 instead of six o'clock. Maybe instead of watching TV at eight o'clock, you know, you're like, okay, I'm going to 
go for a run outside or a walk or whatever. I mean, because that time for yourself, and I don't care if you're working out, that could be your reflection time too. I do a ton of reflection when I'm out on a run, you know? And so it's, it's not cheesy and hokey. I mean, it's true. And it's only going to make you, you know, better, more prepared for everything that the world's throwing at us right now as educators. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbetter.com slash podcast. Now let's get back to the episode. All right. So I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask the sort of like nuts and bolts question, right? I think, I think we've had some good conversation about, you know, what's in the books, a little bit about reflection, this about finding yourself. So I want to ask you both are, you both are, are school leaders. You both have families. I'm going to ask the book question. How, how did you juggle both writing a book, what you do as leaders and being, I'm going to ask the nuts and bolts question for people who went like, guys, how do you, maybe someone's got an idea in their head. They really want to put pen to paper. They want to make it happen. How did you balance all of that as leaders and, 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 and folks with a family and other responsibilities? How did you juggle that piece of it? Mike, let's start with you. So a lot, I'd say 90% of my book was written after my kids went to bed and I was sitting on the couch and my wife's like, Hey, can uh, we watch what you know, dancing with the stars? All right. Yeah, sure. Go ahead. And I'm, I would be writing there. Like I, when I get in the zone to write, like I can almost, I could be in the most crowded room. I could block it all out and I can, yeah, you know, I know a lot of people need like the quiet space. I don't like, so that's, that's how I did it. Um, it was pretty much at night after my kids went to bed and I was sitting on the couch. Um, you know, it wasn't anything spectacular, but that's, that's how I got it done. So. So now, you know, all of the winners of dancing with stars and you were able yeah. to write it, write a book and make it bachelor and pa- bachelor in paradise bachelor winners, paradise. And, you know, all those, all those good shows. Uh, so you're telling me I need to put down my phone and then maybe, maybe. Right. I, okay. Uh, Josh Stamper, how did you juggle it all? I, you know, how did you make it work? What did it look like for you to do this and be a school leader? Well, I, I did what Earnshaw was talking about. So, you know, I had to make sure I didn't sacrifice the time with my family or the job, right? So I got up early. I did the opposite. I did the flip because I knew if I woke up at five in the morning, went straight to my computer and, and started writing that I had a quiet house. And yes, uh, as far as the phone, <laughs> it was put aside, um, all distractions. <laughs> I I definitely have a lot of squirrel moments in life, so I can get distracted easily. <laughs> so I made sure that you know I was sitting at my desk right here, just typing away. And I knew if I got at least 30 minutes or more of time, you know, sometimes it flowed a little bit easier. I'm not, I am not a writer. <laughs> I, I'd much rather do a podcast than to sit down and write, but, um, I knew I had to be diligent. I had to have a routine. I, I definitely am one that flourishes in routines. You know, I'd start a chapter and, and work through and knock out the chapter. I did not write sequentially. Like I just, I had my outline and then I just kind of, whatever I was feeling, whatever ideas I had, I kind of bounced around. So yeah, 5 a.m. every morning because I knew my evenings, you know, I was doing podcasting. I was doing stuff with yeah. their team. I was doing, you know, family time. So, you know, I knew my evenings were going to be really, really difficult. So I really tried to designate my mornings, you know, to, to work out that balance piece. So everybody get your routine, either do it really late or do it really early in the morning and put your phone down, put your phone down. Those are, those are the, those are the keys to making it work. All right, gentlemen, 
Before I think, before we wrap up, is there anything you want to share about your book, what you've got coming up in the world, anything you want to share with, with, with whoever's listening on each of the podcasts? Yes. So okay. I want to talk about the holiday bundle that we got going on. Oh, that's yes. right. Yeah. Yes. Let's hear it. Yes. So Earnshaw and I had this crazy idea that we wanted to make sure that we got our books into hands at a discounted rate. So um, we talked with Sarah Thomas over at Edgy Match, and she loved the idea. So right now, and it really is a limited time offer here because we're we're going to the first of the year, but you can get both of our books, $30 on the Edgy Match website. So we'll make sure that the link is in the show notes, but yeah, um, make sure you take advantage of that because you know once January 1st hits, it's going to go back to normal. You just can get on Amazon or Edgy Match site. So I don't know, Earnshaw, did you see Ryan Reed just picked it up? He got his books today? Oh, did he? No, I didn't see that. Awesome. He posted. He just posted on the Instagram. So uh, that's shout awesome. Out to Ryan, thank you for getting that bundle. But yeah, a lot of people are taking advantage of it, and I, I don't know, Mike, if you want to say anything about the bundle. So yeah, when when we started, you know, you kind of came up with the idea, and we started brainstorming it. Because I know for me, I mean, there's so many books I want to buy, mm-hmm. and I just can't keep up with it. For the way I look at it, like if well, if I didn't have this book, and I, if I don't already have a copy of your book. I definitely just feel like to get these two for the price it is like, it's, I mean, how do you, even if you're not going to read it right away, I mean, just to know you, Hey, you got it. It's here. It's in my library. I'm going to get to it. Like it's, it's, I feel like it's a no brainer. Get it for yourself. Get it for, for the educator in your life. Get it for your mom. I don't know. (laughs) And I think, I think, I think this is a, this is a great, we, you know, we talked about the idea of reflection. We talked about the idea of like this leadership journey. And I think one of those important things is really committing some of your time to like learning from people around you. Right. Mm -hmm. And this is an opportunity for, you know, listeners to go, okay, I want to, I want to learn a little bit more about what each of these guys are talking about. This is a way to do that. And this is a way to, you know, save yourself a little bit of money and check out both of those books. I know that Mike's book is really built to, in a way where you can go like, okay, I want to flip through, oh, this looks like a really cool idea. I want to read what that looks like. Um, and I appreciate Josh, your book, the, like I'm telling you, the acronym is something I'm like, okay, I want to, I want to learn a little bit about how do I, you know, find support from people around me. Right. So how do I dig into that? What's his chapter say on that? So I would definitely say, go check it out. Go, go get the book before January 1st, you can go grab it. Uh, and then even after January 1st, if you missed the bundle, if you're listening to this and it's February, you know, you're going back through episodes. It's okay. You can get both books still. You can still learn a lot. Yep. Definitely. All right, gentlemen, I want to thank you both for letting me sort of moderate and talk and ask questions that were not planned at all and just kind of have a free form conversation about stuff. I I appreciate both of you. uh, And I'm super, super excited for uh, what you guys both have going on in the future for both of you guys. Thanks. Thank you, Josh. It was great.